Hey everyone, welcome to Savage to Sage, where we explore the evolution of entrepreneurs. In this show, we hear from leaders on the challenges and breakthroughs that have shaped them on their journey toward becoming a sage. Hey everyone, welcome back to Savage to Sage. I'm Daniel, the host, and today I have the joy of being joined by Justin Fortier, and he is the CEO and CTO and founder of FYC Labs. Uh, welcome, Justin. Hey, thanks for having me. Awesome. Well. I like to start, give us the quick overview of FYC Labs and what you all do and how what's unique about your company and the market. Cool. Thanks uh, for that lead-in. So FYC Labs is a creative agency and software engineering shop. So we started out, I'll kind of give the journey that'll kind of explain where we're at today and what kind of products and services we provide. We started out 2012. I was running a bar while uh, getting my master's degree. And I had one of the most amazingly talented graphic designers come up to me and ask, Hey, man, can I get a busboy job? And I laughed. I'm like, No, there's not a chance I'm going to give you a busboy job. But hey, do you want to go start a company with me? So his name is Pablo Stanley, just one of the most incredible graphic designers you've ever met in your life, just an, an incredible personality. So immediately, as soon as I heard he was available to work with, like we we had to start a company together. So about that point, we we started the company out just doing WordPress websites and graphic designs for flyers and menus and like we called it, you know, crappy crappy flyers for crappy parties. And we were just <laughs> this was like height of hipsterdom, right? This is 2012. We're we're throwing little tiny, you know, electro dance parties at warehouses and and crappy dive bars. So we're, we're just kind of making and ha- graphics and having fun and just doing really rinky-dink websites. Eventually, we started kind of building up our chops and started getting into e-commerce, started getting into a little bit of software engineering. And we landed a project with Remax Mexico. And that catapulted us into building much bigger projects. We built their whole CRM and their CMS. So we were able to give them a website that allowed their agents to create listings, create properties, list them on on their website. And this was about 2013, 2014. So we were still in the world of jQuery, PHP, you know, just kind of that that early stages of, of, of building these applications. So we built like a Zillow or a realtor.com type app um, for Remax. That catapulted our business. So that brings us into now doing software development, UI, UX. Um, research and human-centric design. We've done a lot of really cool projects over the years now, working with the UC system here in California, working with a really cool startup called Founders Shield out in New York um, and in Tampa. Just like really great projects for startups and um, worked with Mountain Dew recently on their Dew Tour project. So we've just kind of catapulted from there. But yeah, we we started out and that's still our core. We still love to do WordPress websites for our friends and for small businesses and it's it's just great to yeah, really quick just kind of lean back on that was coming from the bar life I, I was taught a phrase never turn your back on your regulars right it didn't matter how busy your friday nights were those regulars kept the lights on monday through friday right so we kind of kept those old clients and the and the wordpress stuff so yeah never turn your back on your regulars that's a good <laughs> phrase i love it so i love that story you definitely don't hear stories like that every day what was it for you as an entrepreneur to propel you to, to jump in and to dive into this type of company. I think it takes, you know, 
audacity and some courage, I would say, to to do that. So like, what was it for you that took you over the edge? Honestly, it was working with Pablo. You know, my wife says I have a man crush on him and I absolutely do. He's just an incredible person. <laughs> and then and the ability to work with someone with that much talent, it didn't matter what we were doing. I knew I had to work with this guy. Like it was just one of those things where you just kind of get this feeling of you know how often I'm going to be able to work with somebody who's that strong and what they do. And in back of my head, I'd always wanted to do event production or like some sort of media company. And him being the graphic designer he was and the personality that he was, it was just, you know, I kind of rode on his coattails. I had had that chance to do that. And it it was that was really what pushed me over the edge was I just knew there was something that, that we would build that was great. Um, so that was kind of, the, that was a catalyst. Yeah. And that, that relationship is really unique and interesting too. And I'm curious, what was it for him? You know, as you, like he obviously was, I don't know if he was down on his luck or that he was applying for a busboy job or in transition, but like, what was it for him that was like, yeah, I want to jump in with Justin and, and do this. Yeah, he had, he had just come back from Nine Gag. He was working up in San Francisco, creating meme after meme after meme. He was it was a meme machine, right? Like he's just creating all these different <laughs> graphics. And he comes back down from San Francisco. We were in San Diego at the time. He comes back down from San Francisco. I'm like, hey, you're back. And he's like, hey, I'm looking for a job. And at that point, everyone I had earned a reputation in the in the kind of in the, in the nightlife scene in San Diego as being kind of one of the most professional kind of growth minded GMs in, in that scene. And I was bringing innovation, just little things like, you know, being able to create a general payout for our, our contractors and our billet, our vendors and our DJs and like coming up with cool ways to make the bar more efficient and like just doing little things that were kind of outside of our league for just a dive bar. And I'd gained enough of a reputation there that it was, it was somewhat similar. I, I, I think I can't speak for him, but it was like, Hey, a chance to work with Justin. He's been doing cool things in this, this industry for a while. Let's go figure something out. And we didn't really have a business plan. We didn't really have a go-to-market strategy. We had fifteen hundred bucks in our pocket and said, "Let's just go do something." I kept my day job for a while, right? Like most people do, is they can't necessarily totally dive in. I kept my day job, was working nights at the bar and then days at the uh, at the agency, and did that. Oh, it's kind of technically my night job. Think about it that way. But um, the we we were able to kind of roll in and we we just figured things out. We just knew there was something we wanted to do together, and just it just started falling in place. Like, hey, let's just keep doing the flyers that we're doing. Let's keep doing. You know, let's call our friends and see if they need a website, that type of stuff. I love it. So in this show, we like to look at the evolution from from Savage to Sage. And our, our mutual friend, Mike, would say, you know, he it would be off brand of him to drop the Savage. And so we know that in all the stages of the company, I think it requires savagery to to keep it going, you know. But when you think about those early days of when you first did it up, you you know, you pulled Pablo in. Like, how would you describe savagery for you, like to stand up this company? Obviously, you're working a ton. Like, what was it like for you? So one, I don't know if I should be a role model in this and having no, uh, no go to market strategy, no game plan, just like an urge and, and like a, um, a visceral feeling that I need to go be an entrepreneur and I need to work with somebody who's super talented, right? So I don't know if that's necessarily a game plan for everybody else out there. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not a role model here. But um, to that point, the sort of savagery that came in in the early days was we, we didn't have any money to start this thing. I mean, I, I had like fifteen hundred bucks in the bank, and we had just done this big event. I, I ran a, um, a small beer and music festival; like thousand people attended this thing, and I just kind of got my butt kicked on it. And I was, you know, we the first year we did it, we lost a bunch of money, we overspent. And I was just like, I, what I wanted in my, my, my gut. And I remember talking to the bar owner at the time uh, where I was the GM. 
And after the whole thing went through, everybody's patting me on the back. And I remember sitting on the floor, just like devastated, just lost, I think it was like $10,000, which at the time was like everything I had. And I just was just devastated. But everybody's patting me on the back saying, this was an amazing party. But I knew in the back of my head how much money I had lost. Because I knew, you know, you can see the numbers and you can see how things are going. And I remember that feeling of like, this is what I want to feel. I want to know that instinct. I want to know that gut. Because you can't learn that from a book. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm educated. I have you know, a master's degree. I'm not, I'm not advocating for people that never go to college. But you can't learn that instinct and that, that, um, that sort of intuition without having gone through a lot of that pain. So that was the initial part of that savage, which I think part of savagery is the ability to endure pain and to be able to learn from the pain, appropriately place it in the right spot, like you know, so kind of think about it in your gut. Like, hey, let's move it to this side of my gut right now because I need to think about something else because I got a lot of important things to do and, and understand that fear and that pain has a place as a teacher. So that was the first kind of entry into savagery that I actually wanted it. I wanted to know what it was like to have my money on the line because it's really easy to talk a big game and do all these things until your money's on the line and things are you're rapidly firing at you and you have to make these decisions and you have to be courageous. So that was a really cool feeling. So that first early days was going through that event together and then knowing that, okay, well, I lost everything, but I survived and I'm okay. Right. So that, that savagery comes in and then the next step comes in, well, let's do this website. Well, what if we don't get paid? Or what if, what if we can't find the web developer in time? Or what if this thing gets behind schedule? Like it's okay. It's always going to be okay. And you start to push those, those insecurities back. And the savage kind of comes out at that point. The person who says, we can do this. Literally, that can-do spirit is kind of what that initial savage is. And the ability to endure, you know, early days, super broke. I remember I was, I, I, I learned how to live off of, I think it was about a quarter or 50 cents a day for a while while we were waiting for some checks. You know, in, in, in the services industry, you do the work and then you get paid. A lot of times, yes, you can get a 50% retainer, but there's always going to be that, that time period where you're waiting for your, your clients to pay you. And I remember I was like, I have to preserve this so that way we continue to grow the business and every, all the cash goes back into paying new engineers, new, new designers. And I remember living off of 50 cents a day. I was eating potatoes and lentils and I'm like, I can do this. And that to me is like that. I push down the fear of, Oh, well, if I don't have like the best food for myself or I don't have this, it's like, no, I can, I can endure this for two weeks. It's okay. Wait for us to get paid. Then, then I can keep my employees. I can keep the morale up and keep the focus of the company going. Eventually, everything kind of came back around. The next year, we made all that money back from the event and then some. So it was a winner at the end of the day. Basically, it was like a, a lost leader, if you think about it that way. And then we did the, year, the event a couple more years and it went really well. Was able to endure those days with you know eating 7-Eleven pizza and lentils, right? Like, I just remember that microwaving potatoes and lentils in the early days because we didn't go... Again, I'm not a role model for those people who are out there who have like children at this point in their career and they can... I, at that point, I had... I had just myself, you know, I was, I was in grad school. I already kind of had a, a cheap apartment and I was renting a house and with some friends. So that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. But for me, that was that first, like I'm invincible, I'm not invincible, but I can endure a lot. And that's where the first bit of savage comes out. Yeah. I love that. And the image of you eating potatoes and lentils and living off of 50 cents a day. That's, that's powerful. During that time, what would you say was something you learned about yourself that you didn't know about yourself before? I didn't realize how technically strong I was, right? So I entered the business in, with the mindset of not being kind of the technical or design talent. I was entering the business as the, the, the business-minded one because I just ran a bar for four or five years and was kind of doing some innovation in there. But for the most part, I was running the business side of it, running the marketing, you know, running operations and um, helping kind of grow the business in that way. 
we we lost again to that point of like okay well we, we couldn't afford like client didn't pay so we figured something out and i had to jump in and write start writing code i had written some code while in undergrad and kind of on as a hobby and i didn't realize how quickly i picked it up and it became my superpower i got really really good at programming really fast i got really good at data really fast i learned sql php javascript picked up frameworks and started to learn a bit of python learned uh, aws and devops like all within the course of about four to six months. So what people would go for four years as a degree, because of the pressure from the clients, I basically realized I have a, an uncanny ability to hone in and focus and lose myself for eight, nine hours at a time learning something new. And without the aid of supplements and <laughs> like some of, the, some of the, the shortcuts that some other folks have taken over the years. Um, I, I literally didn't drink coffee until I was 30 years old. I, my first cup of coffee was at 30. So I had this, um, this weird ability internally to just hone in and focus. And once I discovered coffee, I became a you know, Superman or would go for hours like that. But the, uh, but that was re- it was really cool to learn that about myself, that I was that much stronger technically and that I had that much endurance when it came to focus. Right? Even in grad school and undergrad, I have an undergrad degree which was geared toward law, which was difficult, but it didn't push me as hard as running my own business. Yeah, I love that. So what about on like the, you know, a lot of times I think about it like the metaphor of the heat brings out the impurities inside of us, you know, like on the challenging side, when you have that much pressure on you, like what was an area that was really hard for you to realize about yourself that you had to overcome or grow through? I was literally just saying that. I'm like, well, I bragged a lot about what I've <laughs> learned about myself, but what did I actually learn about myself that wasn't necessarily all that great? I learned that I may, you know, I feel like I'm able to endure stress, but my, my reaction to stress wasn't as healthy as it could have been back then it may i could have probably been a little bit more calm in some ways that you know that that heat brought out the impurities but it also brought out the fortification you know like it it fortified some of the strengths and that stress caused me to push myself a little bit harder but i hadn't learned how to be calm about that and not let that stress affect others so there was tension with pablo and myself in the early days where i would be stressed about a deliverable and i'd be pushing on him and he had a little bit more calm because as a creative he just had a little more sense of like it doesn't matter what what matters is the delivery not the not this pressure and timelines. So it created tension within partners and created tension within some employees where I would push really hard and that I really didn't have the self-awareness to know that this, this focus thing that I had wasn't with everybody. You know, they, they did need a, with the Pomodoro breaks or whatever it may be, where people need to take a break every 20 minutes to take a walk or something. Right. And that works for them. For me, it was honing in and focusing. So for me to learn that I needed to chill out, back off some people and stop letting my stress put that pressure on them. So. That was pretty good to learn early on. Not that I've solved that problem and not that that's something that's something that's so visceral and almost like instinctive and almost a personality trait for a lot of people is when they are in that heat, they start to kind of react that way. And it takes a lot of self-awareness and it takes a lot of like positioning in life to be able to take that time to say it's going to be, you know, come back to self. And and definitely the extent to which that's become, I've learned a lot, like I, I can endure more before I hit that point. But I, that was definitely an interesting thing to learn about myself was how much I would push others when I felt stressed. Are there any of like things that you did in response to that to grow through that, that like you still do today? Like as an example, you know, like if that happens to me when I'm in a good spot, which typically means, you know, like I've exercised in the morning and I've done some sort of like meditation or invested in my mental health, I typically have more of a capacity to not react in moments like that. But like, is there any, anything that you've done that has really helped with that? 
Um, I mean, I have I, I, my thing is hockey, right? Like I play ice hockey twice, once a week. I'd love to play five days a week, but you know, like, and my aging body won't allow me to do that. But uh, <laughs> so uh, mine was hockey that helped me. That was my release. That was my sort of you know taking a load off, and also the camaraderie with my friends. I, I had an amazing group of friends who we have, who I played hockey with down in San Diego. It was just roller hockey. It wasn't like super competitive, but it was beers after and just venting with other people. And these were, most of them were about five to 10 years older than me. So there was a lot of like older brother advice that I was getting from them that would help kind of coach me through to show that it's going to be okay. Like, oh, I've been there too. They all ironically or coincidentally or luckily, they all were entrepreneurs as well. Almost all of them. I think like seven out of 10 of the guys on my hockey team were all entrepreneurs as well so they just continually gave that advice and they're like oh i remember begging people to come to my camp right i had a friend who ran a um a, a kids camp and his first year he was just like please come i'll pay you to bring your kids to my camp like just trying to build that customer base and that always stuck with me those little things that they taught me and said along the way taught me to have a little bit more confidence so that confidence helps relieve that stress right so that that going out and sort of reframing it and remotivating so it becomes not about the stress about oh poor me i'm dealing with these difficult clients or these difficult technical problems it's more of hey this is i'm aspiring to something great and this is worth the effort and worth the time in addition probably some just i mean losing pablo i think i don't know he he actually he's not away from the business but he decided to go do another project he's no longer like a day-to-day active employee and i wish i hadn't put so much stress on him to keep him around and and let him want to work with me more albeit he got an amazing offer to go work with udemy and lift and envision studio i mean he was he was a rock star and he was going to go his way anyways and you know we parted really well we still hang out we started another business um recently as well so it just i wish i had not that was a kind of like that loss or that that failure is such an important teacher was say okay i'm gonna i literally drive people away with this sort of pressure and stress that i'm pushing on them and if they're that important to me and i mean think about my family too as well like my wife has endured a lot of this as well um, I try not to do this to my kids, but I'm sure my kids kind of feel the stress from my work as well at times. So thinking about that impact on others helps reframe it as it's not about just me getting what I want. It's about actually caring about the people who are around me and not wanting to push them away because they're important and you love them. So that was another thing that helped drive drive back to home how important it is to control those stressful moments. Yeah, that's good. And, and then we are going to have those stressful moments too. And I think it's also, and other people will on us. And I think that the grace in the moment too, to extend other people and to ask to be extended to us, I think is key to those, those relationships, especially with co-founders and, you know, early people. So one thing I'm curious about for the evolution of your business and then next part of the story was obviously you and Pablo built something, you, you gained a customer base and then you needed at some point needed to bring other people in to help take some of that load. And so what do you remember looking for in those early people that like, these are some of the characteristics that we need to find, you know, early people that we bring in and to that we're going to entrust with these clients that we've built relationships with and we've delivered ourselves because we can't do it on our own anymore. Right. I mean, how are you going to scale beyond just two people? Right. So we had an early hire. Uh, Her name was Paola. She's amazing. Great designer. Very hungry to learn. Very eager to prove herself as well. We cut her in in the company because we just saw that drive. So that first step was, how do you find those people? It's just you're... you're, I I don't necessarily like 
following this this mantra, but like it's your energy, right? Like it's it's what you attract by the things that you're doing, and you're going to attract like minded and hungry individuals if you're hungry and um, doing cool things. So she had just gotten out of out of college and was just kind of like bouncing around internships around town, and she actually was a patron at the bar that we that we worked at, and she she used to come to the parties and like enjoyed what we we're doing, and then just said, "Hey, I'd love to work with you guys," and then she's gets in there and like once people like that get in the zone and they see the kind of like atmosphere and culture we were creating, it was like, she was hooked. She wanted to help us. So literally I had, we ended up, so with Pablo leaving, I ended up leaving not all the way within about a year, but within about a year, I got an invite to come help a friend of mine start a SaaS company. So I was very, very part-time in the business. I was just basically running the bookkeeping and sort of keeping things going. And Paola literally ran the whole business during that time. We'd had a couple of project managers who we brought in with her, but that, Knowing how, again, it was talent. It's just, you, you kind of see that talent. It's like game recognizes game type of approach. Like this person's got it and I want to work with them. And it's not about like, you know, oh, maybe we could teach her something. It's like, no, this person is just raw talent. They need, they need to be, they need to be brought in. Whatever it is, we got to get them. So we gave her part of the company. Did couldn't pay her a ton, but we paid her what we could. Um, and she was able to kind of bring our company up and bring, you know, while Pablo and I were kind of gallivanting, doing our thing with other, with other startups. She kind of kept at the very least status quo so that we didn't lose any clients. Maybe we didn't grow as much as if Pablo or I had been there the whole time, but she did a great job of making sure that the client base was still satisfied. She attracted a whole other sort of like group of people around her that were hungry to learn. We have um, Kevin, who's our one of our early uh, web design hires, literally just out of high school, was just say, can I come intern for you? Just would show up every morning at 7 a.m. And he's like, as long as I was willing to teach him, he was willing to show up. And he picked up a ton of hours. Now he's the most talented front end engineer um, using like CSS uh, JavaScript I've ever worked with. And it's just purely self taught um, through working with us. So that delegation and like multiplication of yourself, a lot of it's serendipity, a lot of it's just creating energy that will hopefully attract similar people. Now that we're at a different size, it's different. Now it's about recruiting, hiring, um, a, you know, right packages for, for employees, right incentives. It's a little bit different now but those early days were about just the energy that you exuded and the the kind of audience that you attracted yeah for sure did you and your co-founders or maybe you could talk today with fyc labs too like do you have any like cultural practices of like here's what it means to be a part of the team and here's what like our values are Um, i know it's kind of something that's a little bit overdone these days and can become superficial in times if it's just like a poster on the wall but like what what is it for you that kind of gives a common experience of like this is what it means to be a part of this team i think you nailed it on the head with not creating a contrived culture contrived cultures are probably my least favorite thing to be a part of and whatever everybody is trying to rah 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 team up front and then in the background slack message each other hey this is stupid why are we even doing this or like you know back conversations like oh, like like laughing at the, the everyone can tell when it's a contrived culture so for me authenticity was super important we really avoid mandatory fun i i've been in other companies that create mandatory fun and we avoid it we don't require you to show up to any of our retro we have a retro at the end of the week where we all kind of get together started during covid because we would do like we had no one could go anywhere so we started with a happy hour so it started out with just drinks with like the small team that we had at the time. And it, it evolved into like a retrospective of the week and we play little games and stuff, but it is absolutely not required. And I make it very clear that this will have zero impact on your advancement in the company. And that is important that people feel that way. 
in addition, we have things like you don't have to put on your camera. Don't feel like you have to show face. Let your work be the main focus of our relationship. I don't mind getting to know employees, but I believe work should be the main focus of the relationship between you and your employees. And let that be the thing that, that maybe they want to escape from a difficult home life. Maybe they've got something going on with mom and dad and like somebody's having an illness or maybe they've got financial issues from a spouse, whatever it may be. Work may be their escape. So ha- asking them to involve their external life in with their work creates undue pressure on individuals to sort of create deeper relationships that are probably healthy. So for me, that helps solve that contrived culture thing. It's like you don't need to share. There's no therapy hour for us to get to know each other and kind of hold things over one another. Yes, there's there's probably some drawbacks to that and that some individuals need to express what's going on externally so that they can s- explain their job performance. Like, you know, there's something going on. You need to kind of know, say, hey, something personal is going on, need some time. But to me, everything has been about an authentic experience with FYC from the messaging that we have. We were very careful not to build a website that showed we were out of our league. We didn't build a big, flashy, amazing website because really when you meet us, I'm wearing a baseball hat. Kevin's probably in a robe in a recliner with his laptop on his lap. Like <laughs> you're not going to meet that vibe. So when you meet us, like that authenticity has to be threaded throughout the organization. And I believe that the way that we've hired, the way that we provide opportunities to learn to our team, and this is sort of any industry, any company that I've worked with or sort of have been a like a um, an executive or leader at, I've always tried to create this like opportunity for work to be about the work and for it to be about learning and getting better. And then, you know, from there, it's about the, the success of our team. One more thing to that. Sorry, I, I have a little bit of a passion for this. KPIs and OKRs, we try to keep those to be just globally for the team, at least for leadership, right? I hate when you end up going into an organization and one department has an OKR or a KPI that will cause it to cannibalize other departments, which creates that kind of like lack of teamwork. And then again, back to that authentic culture is... Now you've got people who are saying rah, rah, rah team, but really they're competing with one another. And so unless you created a culture that says, hey, we're going to be competing, and then those KPIs and those OKRs are okay to compete against, then you, you need to stop pretending that your team is all moving toward like this, the great goal. If you're giving competitive competing KPIs and OKRs, sorry, just dealt with some stuff about that that was top of mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. And there's like so many things, like so many ways that I could go there. But yeah, I think it's it's really interesting when you you talk about like allowing people to to be authentic at work, but at the same time, not this pressure, especially in like smaller companies and startups. It's like a lot of time you hear the the family metaphor and I'm just like, you know, I get it. We're tight knit. We we're going to war with each other to make, you know, make this product or this service work. And you get really close to people at the same time. It's like if I'm not performing, like, you know, you got to fire me and you you can't fire your mom. Like (laughs) even if you want, even if you want to sometimes, but, but I, I, at the same time, I think, you know, you look at, I have a friend who's an empathy consultant and she talks about how everybody brings like disruptive life events to, you know, to the workplace and just to be able sometimes to be able to be like, Hey Justin, this is going on with my kid who I just dropped off and this this sucks and it's really impacting me today. Like it's just it's good for me to share that and then it's good for you as a leader to you know have that empathetic response, but I think when we you know when we get a little too enmeshed, I think is what you're talking about where it's like 
yeah, it's it's that's not I've seen that go bad numerous times. So I mean, yeah. do you ever feel like you have sort of a I, I like to use the analogy of a, of a computer, right? I have a certain amount of RAM in my head at any given moment, right? I can only I can only process and handle so many things, right? So, and I genuinely deeply care about people, like I, I do, and I know I like I recognize that about right. myself, and I and I create a boundary for that reason because if I were if I were to hear that story, oh man, I'm like up at night trying to think of how I can help you. Like I'm not I'm not like a I'm not over bright. I'm not saying like I'm, I'm the most empathetic person in the world, but right, I care about people, so. For in some ways, you're sort of burdening and kind of filling up that RAM inside of the rest of your team's head when you bring that type of stuff in. And that's not to say that you don't shouldn't have support and like organizations should try to figure out a way to bring that support to you. You know, obviously, if you're in a bigger org, there's you know internal therapy, like there's psychologists you can bring in, which is amazing to be able to support them. Smaller organizations, eh, it's kind of hard when you burden the rest of the team with those problems. So. That sounds that sounded really callous, but you kind of get where I'm going with that. Like, do you ever do you ever feel that way too? Like, there's just only so much you can maintain. Yeah, and that's. I mean, I'm going to be vulnerable here and say, you know, I think it sounds like we, you and my wife and I have a similar relationship to you and yours. Like, where, like a year ago, she held up a mirror to me and just said, "It seems like your capacity to be emotionally present at home has decreased," and that it's making my wife sound really bad. But I would say like she was basically articulating what i was feeling too because i i'm a i try to be a fairly self-aware person i would say yeah like you know i'm i'm not and it, i think it was because you know i i am of the personality of somebody that it's probably why i'm good at sales um or have been good is because i truly care and i really care about the client i want to know them i want to know what's going on what's keeping them up at night and and help them even if it's not related to the sale it's like i want to figure out a way to support them and what they share like is going on and what they need and so the challenge with that is like you said is we only have so much capacity you know throughout the day and you deplete yourself completely because your employees your clients are telling you everything that's going on and you're doing your job it's like you don't have much left for yourself to invest in yourself and especially in, you know, the things or the people that are most important to you outside of, you know, your daily work. And so is that, is that kind of what yeah. you're thinking about? I, I mean, it sounds like we, we kind of have a similar, like, I think I, I empathize with that. I think, we're, I think we're kind of aligning on something, which is that there's only so much you can take on, especially as a founder and a leader. And you're, you're kind of consumed by your employees issues, and your clients issues and all that. And then you come home and you're, you're depleted and you're kind of at that, you, you run out of RAM. Like you're just, you're just out of processing and you need some time to clash it and clear it. Right. So the, the computer analogy works for me because I'm tech, but like that you can use this as like a bucket or, you know, you need to kind of dump the bucket out at the end of the day and kind of re, re, reopen up the ability to, to accept in more. And if you're doing that day after day, you're kind of hurting you know, the, the home life and your, your external life. So back to that authentic culture is don't as an organization purport to your company, to your employees that you can go ahead and be that sounding board for them. Tell them there's a healthy and appropriate amount because that you're, you're impacting your other coworkers and perhaps they have a depleted bucket. Like, and if you need those resources to go outside, then PTO, take some, take some time off, go do your thing, take care of what you need to take care of. We have an unlimited PTO program for that reason is that if it is a mental health thing that you're going through you need to solve it we can be there as like pat you on the back and provide you with resources we have so that your work life is a little bit better but ultimately 
we got to be careful with each other and not not dump these things on one another. I mean, God, I remember there was like sometimes where Bree would laugh. Bree's my wife. She'd laugh like, "Why do you like? Why are you like the psychologist to your clients?" And it's because like that ability, like that caring. All of a sudden, you're now you're carrying around this weight of like, oh, the clients got like oh problems, and we got to solve them. So there's been a new like to, back to like the the kind of metaphor that you have is the savage, the sage. The savage may say, I can, tell, I can solve everything. Let's get it. Let's do this. I got them and I got them. The next thing you know, you're like, okay, I do have a, I do have a, you know, point in which I'm over, I'm overfilled. So now I need a healthy, be comfortable saying no, and putting up those boundaries. So it sounds like we, we kind of feel the same thing over time. Yeah, for sure. And we're kind of near the end of our time for today. And I think that's a good lead into what I like to end on. And that's, you know, like you used a couple metaphors, like how do you increase your RAM or recharge your RAM or fill that that bucket back up? And it sounds like hockey was one release, you know, especially when you were younger. Uh, but like now, you know, in your current stage of life, current stage of business, like what what's most effective for you to what I would call soul care, it's like caring about the most important parts of yourself and recharging? I think, you know, it is discrete parts of yourself that sometimes need recharging it's not just always like a one-size-fits-all right like maybe you need a little bit of you know childish silliness right so then i'll go play with my kids and i'll get drunk with my friends and just act like an idiot again and laugh right like that's you know just remember what i was like when i was 15 12 years old like just that silly person who came up with bad fart jokes and like just was immature for a moment right and you need that. I, I think that part of me helps drive the things that make my business interesting, that make me as an interesting person, and make my wife love me and my kids enjoy, you know, playing hide and seek at the end of the day. So that part gets replenished at different times when you feel that that's depleted. Then, and that might be through. I usually with playing with my kids, like just kind of turning off all other stuff, just not getting throwing throwing innovation to the wind, and just being silly as I can be with them, and theatrical and 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 dumb. And that just feels so good. It just recharges that part of your body that just gives you that confidence. Then you have sort of the entrepreneurial spirit that oftentimes gets depleted as well. You're like, you're so caught up in, well, what's our margins this month? Or what's, um, you know, how do we, what's our next go to market strategy? What's going on with this project? What's the health over there? And then you do things like this that remind you that there's a culture of people and a lot of a tribe out there that wants to support you, wants to see you succeed. And there's, and there's people that you want to see succeed as well. So, I am on um, what's called a CEO roundtable here at the co-working space. I've always found little tribes or little roundtables. Like I talked about with my hockey buddies, we'd have beers after the game and have like a little roundtable. Like, hey, what's going on with you today? And you know, what have you been through? So things like this that just kind of rejuvenate my entrepreneurial spirit that says there's a unique breed of us out here that are kind of doing this to ourselves and, and <laughs> working through a lot of it and just being around other people who are entrepreneurs, not isolating myself and sort of that therapeutic time of talking about what we're going through and that this stuff like this is amazing for me i mean it's it, this is great like it, this is a little one hour therapy session in some ways for me to rejuvenate that part of me and then finally there's sort of that like that technical side where you get burned out on just like writing code because at the end of the day i'm still a programmer still a cto so there is a there's a deliverable for me um and that you know sometimes you just end up like i don't want to i just want to write code anymore for that, typically, it's just stepping away, going, doing something else and coming back. So for me, it's, it's just those discrete, it's recognizing those discrete things. And if I had a little, again, being kind of like a tech guy or like writing you know, UI, UX, I'd have little bars, <laughs> you know, a little chart, a little bars saying, oh, this is depleted. You know, you're, you're like in your video game where you have your mana or your health. So uh, I just try to keep cognizant of those and say, okay, I need, I need silliness. Something like that. Yeah, 
I love it. So last thing, you know, if you were to offer some sage advice to somebody, you know, that is thinking of jumping out into entrepreneurship, like what would be the one thing you would say to them? So if they're basically looking to take their first dive into it, or maybe they're diving back in is one, is it a visceral urge? Like, is it something that they really can't keep down? If it's something that they can't keep down, they, then you have to do it because you're going to be unhappy and you're going to make your other work suck. Like you're wherever, wherever you're currently at, you're, you're emotionally cheating on your, on your, on your current employer by having this visceral urge to go out and do something more. So that would be the first thing that I check is check that and check that urge. Is it, is it like, I can't not do this. If that's the case, then hit the gas pedal. Don't worry too much about timing. Um, you know, what do they say about like buying a home, like buy a home when it's right for you, start your business when it's right for you when it, it's something you need to do. And it's, it's good. It's, you're, you're ready to move on to it. If you are kind of on the fence, then you need to just kind of evaluate why. Check your motives, right? There's a phrase that my, my mom always says, like, check your motives behind whatever you're saying or check your motives behind why you're starting a business. Are you starting a business because you have FOMO because you see your friends doing it? That's a bad reason to start a business. Having FOMO and doing anything because you saw your friends do it and you're jealous, that's a horrible reason to do pretty much anything. So it has to be something that you're going to do for yourself or for your family. And if that's what's going on, it's like, hey, I'm doing this for myself because I want this, this excitement or I want to test myself because I really want to see how good I am at something. That's a good reason. Um, obviously, don't, like I said, I don't take my role model. I, I did a little bit too haphazardly where I just said, screw it. We got 1500 bucks. Let's go. But sometimes if you don't do that, kind of like you know jumping out of an airplane, you just got to jump sometimes. So, but yeah, I think those are the, the two things to kind of keep an eye on is, is check that urge. Check is it something that's visual. You can't contain it. And then if you do check your motive, make sure it's not for some FOMO. And then you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to get that fixed. And then you're going to be like, well, I don't want to do this. Actually, I don't like the work. So check that first. Yeah, well, that is very sage advice. And this, I think, show and your story is going to be really helpful to a lot of people. So thank you for sharing it. If people want to get in touch with you, um, just to connect more to, or to get some code and design done, where would you point them? Oh, they can email me directly, uh, Justin, J-U-S-T-I-N, at FYC Labs. That's F-Y-C, Frank, Yellow, Charlie, L-A-B-S, F-Y-C Labs.com. So, and uh, if you want, you guys can start a little poll on what does F-Y-C stand for. Yeah, I like to put that out there. And I see some pretty funny things. I'll never tell you what it actually stands for until you get an invoice from us, and then it'll be right at the top. But until then, <laughs> I'll let you let your imagination go with what F-Y-C stands for. <laughs> so come become a client so you can figure out what FYC stands for. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Awesome. It, and, and thank you so much. Like I said, this is this is therapeutic for me as an entrepreneur and anybody who has like the opportunity to kind of just talk through things. It's just great. Yeah. My honor. And thanks again. Thank you for listening to today's interview. To view show notes or hear more episodes, please visit www.savagetosage.com.